Hey, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another H&K video game experience. Eventually, we'll have Nick the Amountist join us on this episode to talk about one of the greatest games of all time, Final Fantasy VII. We'll also reveal the winner of the limited run Toad Jam and Earl Switch Cart. So, enjoy. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Hollywood Cole is here with Clearfire for another H&K video game experience. What's going on, Clearfire? Not much, man. Same thing as always. Chasing kids and trying to play some games. Oh, another day in the life of Clearfire. <laughs> Have you been playing any games? Uh, I've been playing a little bit of the Starlink on the Switch. I actually opened it up and started playing it. It's actually, actually a lot of fun. I've enjoyed that. Um... I uh, started playing a few games on my phone because kid's been sick, so he's been taking up my TV, and for whatever reason, I didn't pick up my Switch. Started playing a couple games on my phone just to pass the time, um, and then, of course, this weekend was one of those weekends from not so much fun where I got to do stuff for my uh, professional uh, group that I do outside of work, so I was out doing that and just wasn't at home any this weekend, so cool. played What's a little that? bit, but not enough. So. Is Starlink like the uh, No Man's Sky? So, I mean, I guess it kind of is. It's basically kind of like a, I kind of more relate it more to like a Star Fox, but you're actually like on a planet, you know, trying to collect things and shoot things and kill things because you're in your jet all the time. I never got to a point where I got to get out of my jet. And in No Man's Sky, you land your shuttle on whatever planet, walk around the planet collecting stuff, you you know, getting ore and all that, collecting the stuff to build better ships and things like that, and then going to other planets. I haven't gotten off the first planet. I'm really not super far into it, but it's it's a lot of fun. And I'm playing as Star Fox, so that, okay. that's a that's a blast because it just has that whole nostalgia feel to it. I, I, I really like it. So you just go from planet and collect stuff, and then once you leave that planet, you're probably never going to come back to it? Is that kind of... That's what I'm... I'm kind of guessing that's what's going to happen with Starlink, um... It's it's a I mean it is fun but I don't know if you're gonna I don't know if you're gonna have the freedom like you have in No Man's Sky to go to whatever planet you want to and things like that because right now they haven't even presented me that I have to collect so many things to be able to get my ship to be able to take back off to go to do the interstellar travel because right now it's the main ship that carries all the small ships has crash landed onto this planet it's broken down and I'm trying to. Um, build it back up and also save my leader that has gotten that has been kidnapped so okay um pretty well, neat little story yeah it sounds pretty cool actually just that space stuff and uh i always thought it was like a no man's sky which i never played that one either no man's sky no Man, but no man's sky was was okay when i played it because i played it at at drop um it was okay but it was definitely a broken game it was terribly broken i'd like to get it and start playing it again now that it's fixed because very, very much multiplayer. Um, they've got all of that built in. There's a lot of where you can actually fight the other people or what, or kill them kind of like in an MMO. So 
it, it seems like it's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know anybody that still plays it or that plays it now. So yeah. um, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to jump on and play it a little bit. So, well, um, Mario Maker Two coming out this Friday, and that's yes. going to be one I posted something on the Facebook in the in the H and K Lounge. Uh, if you do have are, are planning on getting Mario Maker Two for the Switch. Then, uh, if you create a stage, go ahead and send us your code, and we'll play it. We'll record it and uh, play that. Record our playthrough for it, and so that way we'll put it on Facebook. We'll probably, or yeah, Facebook, but uh, YouTube, and we'll probably put you know three or four on one playthrough, so everybody can kind of just see everybody's first reaction to it. When I first, we had the original one on Wii U, and that would have been nice to have somebody to yeah. see the playthrough. Uh, that somebody tried the two would be really would be a lot of fun to do. Uh, especially with some commentary. Yeah, I'm excited to play the boards because, like, having the ability to play made boards from someone else that look very challenging, you know, I, I look forward to doing that. And I'm probably going to be playing more than making, but, yeah. you know, I'll still make some too as well and throw it out there. I'll probably throw a Hollywood challenge board out there and see <laughs> if I can stump Hollywood because that might be my goal is to see if I can create a board that Hollywood can't beat. Oh, you, you know? will be able to, but you have to finish the board. So when you create a, a stage, you have to finish it before you pub- they can publish it. So you have to run through it yourself first. It won't let you publish yeah. it. Oh, um, nice. I like that. Yeah. And so it. Uh, this is all from the Wii U version. And um, so they got little challenges. Like, it's fun. Me and Jacob would take turns. Like, you can go to 10 stages and, or you go to – it's like easy, medium, or hard. And you'll have like 100 uh, Mario's to die and it's just when you die it shows you all the x's kind of like where people have died where you did and oh, stuff nice. like that it's yeah, just like great that. dude it is so much fun it's just a fun game to play yeah. i'm looking forward to that i'm so glad they're doing it i am too and it's gonna be my first adventure into mario maker um i heard a lot of good things of mario maker one one for a lot from you and two from some other people that i know that played it um just you know one, I, I got I got into watching some of the challenge boards that people were playing and watching how they completed the boards. I was like, holy cow, how in the world? And <laughs> yeah. then two, I haven't played all the different like Mario Odysseys and everything. So getting to have a kind of a feel of some of that where you have like the different suits that are involved in some of those games and some of the abilities and stuff from that, you know, it looks to be fun. And then also too, to kind of have that reminiscing part of it where you're going to get to build some of the classic stuff as well. So hopefully yeah. I can build something classic that's just crazy. I might even build a simple one. One that just makes you think you're gonna, you know, be tough and just you know, easily win, you know, something <laughs> silly like that. I'll be interested to see yours that you build, man. I bet you got can make a pretty good one. Um, you were always, and I don't know if this relates, but you are always a good like dungeon master, so you have a good, yeah, good setup for people. So that'd be well, if it translates you. over, it'll be good. Yeah. Well, hopefully one day too. I think it would be fun if we could play possibly even one of our hero quest games, you know, on <laughs> yeah. Facebook and kind of do like that. Like Roll since, the you, dice. Since, <laughs> since you have, since you have the game and I have the game, I can tell you, how, you know, how to do the layout and everything. And we can kind of, you know, maybe make it work <laughs> over, over the thing. It might be a little fun to do, you know, so yeah, it could be a little challenging, but no heroes quest. I remember that. Oh man, it was so much fun. Well, check this out. This is pretty interesting. I saw, and this is for uh, our H and K listeners out here for sure. Um, and we can kind of talk about where we think this is going to go. Uh, but I want to talk about what happened to it. So there is a very rare PlayStation Four game out there right now. Very rare. There's like 82 of them in existence. Oh wow! And, and I'm not making any of this up. And the, all this stuff that I'm going to tell you actually happened. All right. So the game. Uh, 
It's made by this independent developer called NoDiggity.net. It's their independent developer's uh, name. So they've made a bunch of just indie games like Food Truck, Tycoon, uh, all these various games like that. Just kind of simple games and released them on computer or probably digital downloads for some consoles. Anyway, they released one called Poop Slinger. Poop Slinger? Yeah, no kidding, a Poop Slinger game. And it's literally like a little... It's a st- static screen, and you have a little cross here that you move around. It's got a little, you've got a little uh, slingshot, and he slings poop at all the passerbyers, and it hits them. And they go, ah, and they run off or whatever, and you get like 10 points. It's just very basic. But uh, but anyway. Poop slinger. Yeah, so keep that in mind, because this the name this of this game. This is the rare game? This is the rare game called Poop Slinger. And know it, so the name is important, because you're going to realize why it didn't. Okay, so anyway, so some ga- some company called limited rare you've heard of limited run who still yeah. hadn't sent me my toe jam and Earl, by the way <laughs> but uh limited rare is the game is this company that said contacted no diggity.net said hey well can we do a can we publish your game for you can we do a hard copy release on it hard copy release and so no diggity's like yeah sure and um and so they got the rights to do the hard copy release they put it on a website all right a bare bones, just poop slinger out now, blah, blah, blah. With the picture of the game, bare bones, just white background. And they released it on April 1st. Uh, so some genius oh, yeah, yeah. had so the idea. Be like, yeah. And so it goes, oh, this has got to be a joke. All right. So first of all, it's on April 1st. Everybody was April Fool's. At the bottom of it, it was, really, it was for $33.99, something like that. That's what they released it for. At the bottom of it, oh, limited rare games, the font and everything looked exactly like limited run. So everybody oh, thought wow. it's, it's obviously a parody, right? Yeah. And in the bottom, it said, you know, copyright uh, at limited rare games. And then it had Russian. It's like some Russian text. And if you copied that text and put it in translator, it said, we reserve the right to maintain all of your personal information and store it. Oh. And like, Everything points to this big joke, and yeah. so they and so they don't uh, sell good, obviously, and um, and so about halfway through the day, they they stay post. You know, if we don't sell all of these, they had eight hundred and twenty. They said, if we don't sell all these, we're going to go out of business. And so the, the marketing geniuses that they were, they decided to raise the price to $50 instead of lower oh my it. Gosh. So they said, well, I got an idea, guys. If we raise the price, we don't have to sell as many of them. <laughs> you know, it sounds like something you would say if you were like you're Just, 13 years oh my, old or something. And so, morons. And so they sold like 82 or 84. And they're going on eBay now for like 500 bucks. They were up to 1000 yeah. lowered down to 500 We don't know where it's going to land, but... You know, you might think I mean, this is going to be the next like um, this, this is, going is to be the, the next ne- ET, the next stadium events. You know that was this just that the- they discontinued. No, it's the next ET. I mean, how's it the next ET? So ET, it's not okay. So it's not as like it's not a terrible game like ET, but it's like ET was basically make or break for Atari. You know, if they you know if ET was going to be a good game, it was going to be a great thing for Atari. Atari was going to pick up steam. You know, they had all of this. Behind it, saying that it was going to be, you know, such a great thing for Atari. ET was the absolute pinnacle downfall of Atari. 
this is the pinnacle downfall of limited rare games. And so you see, just I, it's so I, funny you mentioned that because I was I was literally thinking that today. Somehow I was thinking that today, and I don't know why. Um, but no, ET e. was not the downfall of Atari. I know why I was thinking it because me and uh, me and Weed Doc were doing the uh, the PlayStation Five uh, smooth ramblings and talking about how thinking about how these new games, Microsoft and Google, American companies are deciding to stream games. I don't want to get too deep into this. Are deciding to stream games now, right? And uh, and eat in a Sony Japanese company and Nintendo are doing their own thing and they're beat, marching to the beat of their own drum, so to speak. America has already destroyed the video game uh, industry once, and Japan has saved it. So true. they're going to do it again. I'm willing to bet. And so anyway, so the one game didn't cause Atari to, to go bankrupt. It was all I of think- the crap that they were throwing out there, all these different games they were throwing out there, and they were all trash because everybody was greedy. Every, all, all these companies were trying to just, Make a game real quick and throw it out there. Let me just make this one point real quick. I know go ahead, you're, go ahead. all these. All, everybody's just trying to make a bunch of crap and throw it out there to make a bunch of money, just like they're doing with the streamings and all this kind of stuff. And then the consumer lost trust in them, or they lost trust in the consumer because they're like, okay, we don't know what's good and what's not. And you're right, ET had a major uh, part of it because wow, ET even sucks. Pac-Man sucks. All these games suck. But they weren't. They weren't like they were just shooting to the moon. Then all of a sudden, ET comes out and everybody goes, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm done with it. You know, so. But anyway, that I don't want to get too deep into that. But well, I just want to just real quick kind of point with you, just so just so you understand what I was saying too. I didn't say that ET was the downfall of Atari. I said it was the pinnacle of the downfall of I Atari. The top it was peak the, of it. It, it. it was basically the uh, the breaking point for them. If you know, it, it's basically it was the cherry on top of the Sunday. It was what caused <laughs> the downfall because it was like you've got all of this. It's building up. You know, it was crap after crap after crap that they were putting out for games, just like you said. Yeah. And then it just so happened that ET was so overhyped that it's what's called it's what started the entire downfall. Now, granted, that downfall was quick after ET, but it is like the pinnacle point of. Like the Atari's last straw. Downfall. It's basically, that's it. You know, Atari made other games after ET. They still made some money after ET, but they were bleeding money, you yeah. know, after ET. It was just that whole shift there. That's a very interesting topic to talk about. Think about that, what we're saying, and then think about how American game companies, Microsoft and even Google now, are changing gaming again to benefit themselves, not mm-hmm. the gamer. So we're going to see how that plays out. But back to limited rare games, they didn't even have a <laughs> pinnacle. They just came no, they out really and didn't. died. And they literally were saying, <laughs> like, guys, it's just so funny. I mean, they're tweeting this out and they're being serious too. They're saying, you know, guys, we're going to have to go back and again and work at Walmart if we don't sell all these games. Again, you think it's, you think it's another joke. And then so they, uh, so they sell the game and everybody's posting on Twitter. Are you guys related? The limited run and the limited rare, rare games, uh, logos side by side are you guys related you know and so on and uh and they're like where's my copy where's my copy and they go guys it's taking a long time to ship because we have to ship it between our jobs at walmart <laughs> like we oh, have to go gosh. to walmart and then come back and then <laughs> ship it like we have to do our thing with our mugs and stuff that oh, took forever to get out yeah. so anyway this i thought that was but if you see poop slinger it's maybe worth some money so i so doubt it's going to gonna be the next 
stadium events where they limited run uh, and they went off the map because nowadays people have a tendency to re-release them. Somebody's going to find the box of eight hit eight hundred and twenty. So somebody's going to find yeah. a seven hundred dollar box, or they're going to re-release it as just a novelty. My that's yeah. my theory. So there's so there's actually just two copies right now on eBay, and you can either bid and the first bid is eight hundred dollars on it. Nope. Or you can go for the buy it now option that is one thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars and ninety five cents or best offer. So yeah. good luck on trying to get a good copy of that. I might offer them forty five dollars and see if they'd give me yeah. poop slinger. It might just do it for a laugh. <laughs> it's like Radiant Historia that came out for the DS. This is one I remember. Very, there's a bunch of them like this, but that one came out for the DS. It was a limited run type of thing. It jumped up to you know several hundred dollars if you wanted to buy it. And guess what? They re-released it. Now you could probably get it for thirty bucks. It's yep. just do not fall for this. That's why they're trying to get you. But anyway, nowadays it's so easy to know a game. It's like anything that is collectible is no longer collectible. The stuff that you don't expect to be collectible is what you make money on. But anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I knew we were going to get off on a tangent, but that's good. Good stuff for you guys to know. I'll check Poop Slinger off my list right now. We talked about it. Um, <laughs> you want to go into some news or you just want to get started with this? Uh, let's get started. I really don't have much news. Um, like I said, kid's been sick, so I don't have much to dive into. Uh, hopefully, I'll have a good bit of news for everyone when I do my uh, thoughts on E3. Um yeah, I think you'll be excited about it because, you know, I'm going to have some very up and down thoughts about it because it's actually some good up and down things. So, <laughs> good. well, right. I mean, it's my, up and down thoughts because of all the up and well, down things. Well, well I, I, yeah, I, <laughs> the ends and outs and ends and outs and outs and the ends. Exactly. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you a quick little taste. So Microsoft, uh, uh, not at Microsoft, but it, it is Microsoft, but Xbox's lead straight up said that. E3 suffered greatly because Sony was not there. So this is telling of the game industry right now as well, how much the competition is valuable. You know, how valuable it is even to Microsoft and Sony. One, they've got a partnership working on doing the streaming games that we kind of, I kind of want to stay away from just because, you know, that disrupts the industry like we like. But it also shows that the two companies that really hate each other are really relying on each other to show up to these big conferences and these big game expos because without them, they, they fall flat on their face. And I'm sorry, I think Xbox fell on their face with E3. They had a grand opportunity to really knock it out of the water, you know, knock the park, you know, knock the ball out of the park. And they just kind of, I mean, they, they came out just kind of spitting and sputtering, you know. I, I really think that Sony not being yeah. there did greatly affect them and affected the whole E3 conference because it just didn't feel as grand as most of them do. Yeah, sure. I could see that. Well, all right. Well, uh, we're here to talk about Final Fantasy VII uh, today. Yes. Um, one a, Another great video game in the history of video games. But let's talk just a touch on Final Fantasy in general. If you've been listening to us, you know that we redid the final. We did a three-part series on Final Fantasy VI. So we got a lot into a little bit of the history there. Uh, which, by the way, that Final Fantasy Part Three, uh, you know, the third uh, segment of the Final Fantasy VI did not get as many downloads, and I don't blame you guys if you've heard the at least the second one. But we did that one a little bit better. Um, we just kind of touched on a few things. We didn't go through the all of the details. So if you hadn't heard that one, go back and listen to that one. I think it's pretty good. Even if you didn't play the game, um, you'll probably like that one. Uh, it does give you just a quick touch on a lot of different things. 
Yeah. So you get more you get more highlights than a playthrough, and exactly. you actually get you actually get more of our thoughts on the game versus us just kind of trudging through the whole entire details of the game. Um, I I know I enjoyed recording that one more than the other ones. Yeah. So, uh, Final Fantasy was uh, uh, written by Hironobu Sakaguchi. All right, he's the he's the whole legend. It's a true story. It's not just a legend of how he was developing his final game before he quit the industry. And that's why he called it Final Fantasy. It came out on Super Famicom. Of course, it blew up. We didn't get uh, we did get that one. That was on the uh, NES. Um, he came out with Final Fantasy two and three in Japan. We did not get that one. We were not really up to par, or you just we we weren't really on the RPG train at that time. In fact, Dragon Warrior was Dragon Quest in Japan. We released in America as Dragon Warrior for free. If you subscribe to Nintendo Power, as you probably heard on our Dragon Warrior podcast um, with Coach RX, just to get Americans into RPGs that had a map, it had strategy guide, how to play this game, had everything that you needed to get started. Um, and so we're still coming on board with these Final Fantasies or these RPGs. Final Fantasy II in the US for the Super Nintendo is actually Final Fantasy IV in Japan. And uh, they released Final Fantasy V. We did not get it. Final, until later, Final Fantasy VI was Final Fantasy uh, III here in the U.S. So at this point, all we have is Final Fantasy I, uh, Final Fantasy uh, II, and three. And there's some other Game Boy games, Final Fantasy Adventure, which is actually a secret of mana, but whatever. Uh, so we only had three. And then all of a sudden, here comes Final Fantasy IV. Nope, it's Final Fantasy VII for the Super Nintendo um, uh, Final Fantasy 7 didn't come out sooner. No, about, I was thinking and about actually, too far. And actually, right there, and right there before Final Fantasy 7 <laughs> actually came out, we actually had Final Fantasy Mystic Quest and that mm. actually came out before then. So we actually did have um, four Final Fantasies before we get 7. And it's weird. We go Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, Mystic Quest, and then 7. And so very weird, just kind of arrangement of the way that we got the Final Fantasies. And I kind of understand why the U.S. didn't didn't take on to RPGs. We were kind of the type of people that wanted the fast paced, fast fast twitch games. We we were you know we were the type that consumed those games. I mean, because you got to look at Pac Man, Galaga, uh, arcade all, games. Those, all, all those arcade games. You know, Donkey Kong, Mario. All of those were what were big for us. Whereas you know, the Japanese, they love those story games and RPGs, you know, are definitely story games. And so that's kind of why, you know, they kind of was hesitant about releasing those games here. And by the time we get seven, we're actually starting to get into those RPG games where the U.S. is starting to consume those RPG games and, and ask, actually asking for them. So, so um, here at Nubu Sakaguchi, he did seven. He did all the way up to seven and then he did eight which is a departure. And then he did nine, which brought it back to form. And nine was his final one. And now, uh, 10, if 10 on all had a different, uh, producer there. So I, I, I wish you would have done something different for nine. I, I mean, I've never said it before. I just, I, I did not like nine. At he all. just wanted to, well, he wanted that to come back to the original form. That is one of the, it is, I didn't like nine, but with a, I liked nine. Once you get into it, because of the character development and all this, 
But the reason I don't like it, I think it's the same way. You don't like it. It's these stupid animals. I don't want to talk to a hippopotamus. Exactly. It's just the guy has a tail. It's like, dude, it, come on, it, man. It, it, was too, it was too corny, and I felt like, you know, in the statement of trying to go back to what it was in like one and one and two for us and three for us, it's nothing like those. That's the problem. It's like he went back, and I think he went back a little too far, maybe into some of his games that he was developing before Final Fantasies. Because it just didn't feel... I mean, to me, it didn't feel like a Final Fantasy. I mean, I had the character development, and that was fun. And you did have the epic battles and stuff like that. But, like you said, talking to animals, it just... It, animals it, it killed felt, it. It felt so out of place. And it's like, really? I mean, no. It just... it just That, that, that right there, like you, like you just said, it just... It was a no-go. <laughs> and so, of course, 10 comes out, crushes it. Everybody loves 10. Um, and so uh, then 11, the RP, the MMO, 12 is a good one, too. Very political, um, real well, story. Don't, and, and don't forget 10-2. fell out around, around, around about the same time 11 came out. Yeah, and so uh, and then 13 did not do so good, and it's like three 13s. And yeah. then 14 was an RPG, and then 15 just recently came out about a year ago, two years ago, which is good. I like. I enjoyed fifteen. I, I yeah, I finished fifteen. So, um, anyway, it is very interesting for Final Fantasy VII. And this is kind of what I wanted to talk about. So, before I get to to through this question, I want a question uh, for you. Uh, we'll talk about where we were in nineteen ninety six. All right, it came out. Uh, when did it come out? It came out in January thirty first of nineteen ninety seven. 97, okay. Yeah, I thought it was some reason. I think it was 95, but that's when the PlayStation came out. That's what it felt like to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't realize that we were that age when it came out because I felt like that's, we were younger. Oh, you I know. remember going to Jackson with my girlfriend, so I knew it didn't come out in 95. So I went and bought I bought exactly. this game before I bought a PlayStation. <laughs> this is when you had the Celica. Exactly. We did about 80, 85. Standard. Did 85 when, and then, then put speed it in it was 60. and turn it off and turn it back on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, anyway, uh, so 97. So at this point, the Nintendo 64 is out. And you got to remember, Squaresoft had a licensing deal with Nintendo at the time. They were releasing all this stuff for Nintendo. So we all thought, oh, Final Fantasy for Nintendo is going to be awesome. Well, they did a little you know, promo for it. And uh, I remember seeing pictures of it. And Nintendo was supposedly going to release the uh, disk drive in uh, the U.S. They released it in Japan. It never came out in the U.S. There's a couple of prototypes for it that are for the U.S. Uh, But it was never officially released in the the U.S. And just kind of a fun fact, the uh, PlayStation version had three discs. And that was like, what? This is going to be awesome. Three discs. And nobody could believe it at the time. I remember that. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you know how many disk drives for the Nintendo sixty four it would have taken to fit the to fit all the information on there twenty thirty exactly thirty thirty uh, disk drives to fit all that on there and um they were talking about the two thousand wow. pixel behemoth is just gonna like sh- just slow it down to nothing and when it appeared and it's just like okay there's no doubt that we're gonna go to Sony and so they went to Sony yeah. And, so for you, and well, I want to point this out for the listeners too. So when they're thinking about this, because uh, I know now you're like, okay, when something's released in Japan, I know that if I have a connection in Japan, I can just order it, get it, play it over here, play all the games and everything on it. Cause that's how the playstations work. Now that's how everything works. There's no locked regions anymore. 
Back then, there were region locks. So whenever a device was made, the FCC, the governing bodies of Japan for their um, media stuff, they all had these laws that basically said you had to region lock these things so I couldn't get the game from Japan and play it on my Nintendo here in America. So you had that. And then, too, also, too, to help that, I can't remember if the 64 games were done like this, but I know the Super Nintendo uh, cartridges were actually a little different and had um, notches in R's, whereas the um, Japan version didn't have notches. So you couldn't actually plug your cartridge into your Super Nintendo. And I think that the 64 cartridges were the same way. So you couldn't actually even plug it in. So it was, it was locked. So if you're wondering, hey, why didn't you just, you know, why couldn't you just get one from Japan? Well, you couldn't because they wouldn't actually link together for one. And then two, if you tried to, you know, play a, a game, it was region locked. And what made it even worse on the region locks is, is in Japan, they didn't put English language on a lot of their games. So you would have to learn Japan to play the game. <laughs> Not only learn about the country, but learn Japanese. And then yeah, you so understand. I mean, it's just, exactly. I mean, because you're going to have all these cultural references because they put cultural references in these games. So, yeah, you, you, you're looking at a hard, a hard battle there. So you might as well go live in Japan for a couple of years before you even try to, you know, get that. But it. I haven't tried this, but uh, as far as I know, it works. You go in there and you can just remove those notches in your Super okay. Nintendo and put a uh, Super Famicom game in and it plays fine. Yeah, but, but they're um, all in Japan. Well, they're all Japanese they're all J- yet. J- Japanese. Yeah. So they're all in Japanese, so they still are. Yeah, because like... Well, like I mean, a shooter some, or something would be fine, yeah. but yeah, for whatever RPG. reason, Yeah, for whatever reason, like their region locked for the Super Nintendo was just those blocks. The M64, <laughs> it's an actual region lock where if you plug the game, if I'm not mistaken, if you plug the game in, it, it's not going to work. Right? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think it is uh, because is I don't think so. The only reason I say that, which is my little name dropper here, Kelsey Lewin, she's a Metal Jesus uh, Rocks. Um, That's right. I was at her store, Pink Gorilla, I was talking to her and just uh, asked her yeah. that exact question, as a matter of fact, and she said, no, if I'm all right, I got to look it up now though. But I'm almost positive she said it's I, no. Not I, region lock. I, I think I think you're right too. I think the region locks were on the discs, the CD games, because I do remember hearing stories about that where you couldn't put a a region locked um game, a PS one game into a USPS um console because they had like the EU lock. They had the EU region. They had the uh, Asian region, and I know they had the American region. I don't yeah, know if they had the right. South American region because you had like the what was it NTSC disc, exactly, and then you had some other I forget the other name and level of disc because there was like a different type for the EU and then for uh, the Asia area. It's PAL so, and NTSC, NSC, TC or whatever. NTSC, yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Uh, yeah, the Super Nintendo. It's the I notches the, exactly. Yeah, the, I think the sixty four is just the notches too. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that as well, but. Even so, it's in all. It's in all. It's all in Japanese. So you, unless you know Japanese, you're not going to understand it. <laughs> Some and it's people Japanese. learn it, man. These gamers know their Japanese. Uh, I would like to learn it. It's just well. I mean, a, a lot of people that are into the anime culture, yeah, they've got to learn it because the best anime is from Japan, and you want to listen to it in the Japanese language and not have it dubbed. You know, dubbed for you. They like watching it with subtitles with Japanese speaking. Yeah. So. Um, just so you guys know, we have uh, we we Nick Thimianos was supposed to uh, be on this one with us. Um, he had a uh, little, um, I guess he's had like some uh, some kind of emergency or something that he had to uh, to take care like a of. Fluffle. 
but he should be on. He may come in later. So if he just jump in with him on there, then uh, if he just jumps in, then that's what happened. So, uh, dude, I'll go ahead and ask you then while we're uh, waiting. If he jumps in, I'll ask him. So we you had mentioned before several times on other podcasts that a lot of people's very first Final Fantasy was Final Fantasy VII. Why mm-hmm. was, you know, what ha- why did... Why was that? What made it so great? What made it get people? So, in my opinion, and I think that maybe what it leans toward as well is, um, for one, they f- you finally have a villain that has so much depth to him. Sethiroth, the villain, was an amazing villain. I mean, he, his look, his style, he's not a lizard king, you know, he's not this just out there villain some d- disgusting thing he's a person he's he's somebody that it could have had you know something you know could have easily made him mad and turn villain you know i mean it, you can there there's relatable points to him i mean there's just so much depth to that character and i really feel like one that he was one of the main reasons why people gravitated toward this game because when you have something compelling to fight against it drives you to keep on going and playing in a game Two, you have it on the Sony PlayStation. The PlayStation was all the rage at the time. It was a popular new system, and you have this fantastic-looking game. I mean, come on, the front cover of this game alone is a nice draw to it. Because you know me, I went and bought games based on the cover art half the time. You know, Mega Man X, this is before I knew anything about it. It just looked cool with the underwater stuff it had on it, and I was like, i got to buy this game. This cover is another one of those, because you've got Cloud on the front of it with his big sword on the back, Looking up at the, uh, I gotta scroll up on it because I got it right here. Looking up at, you know, up at Midgar, he just looks really awesome. You know, he looks like a compelling character. And that's what I feel like was the reason why a lot of people played this and it was their first Final Fantasy. Yeah, those are uh, good points. Uh, I didn't think about, man, some one of those with the uh, PlayStation being the number one uh, console at the time. I certainly don't believe that if it would have come out on Nintendo 64, it certainly wouldn't have done as good. And it may have just, and who knows where the, the future of Final Fantasy would have been at that point. But uh, guys, we got Nick Thimianos here. What's going on, dude? Hey, bud. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for being patient with me. <laughs> oh, it's all good, That's man. It's all good, man. I knew, I knew I figured you would jump in at some point. Um, I just wanted to let everybody know that you had something going on. So uh, we just we just go ahead and get started. And, uh, I'm glad to finally get to do a podcast with you. I've been listening to all your other, all your ones with Hollywood, so <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. I hear not, I hear great things about you too. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, well, what, what what do you think made Final Fantasy? Why did, why did this one? So we, America was not RPGs, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't really you know know what it was. I mean, a few of us did. I was a, you know we all know Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger was probably that's probably what I'm going to say. It was a little bit of a bump, Chrono Trigger, that was on the PlayStation. But why do you think that um, Final Fantasy VII did so well? Or what got people involved in this one and not the others? I think because for PS1, it was one of the most cinematic video games for for its time. Like, um, there weren't that many other games out there that... Um, 
it was really ambitious for uh, that's what i think it was and it got everyone's attention like holy crap you got this dude holding a sword that's twice his size and he's swinging it with ease and you got like all these different spells and whatnot like the closest thing that you had to a cinematic game was probably the first resident evil you know but it was you know even though it was a very sci-fi horror survival horror type game it was very grounded for what it was it wasn't uh it it was realistic for its setting where you have final fantasy were just like extremely fantastical um and i think that's why but i mean i know you know you had one two and then three or six or whatever for the super nintendo especially that were really well known but i also think because of chrono trigger really emphasizing squaresoft at um when seven came out you know people at that time they were squaresoft already had some really avid fans on their side so they were ready for the next thing yeah. Yeah, and they couldn't wait to see this massive world and cinematic glory, like you were saying. Uh, um, yeah, Chrono Trigger did make uh, these RPGs a little more accessible. We did talk a touch about uh, Mystic Quest, where they tried to use that as some. <laughs> I could. I mean, Mystic 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 Quest was. I, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but I'm gonna say it like this because I liked Mystic Quest. I got, I had it, and loved playing it. It, it was a turd in the in the level of final fantasies it just it didn't it didn't play the same as what we were used to and it was that that whole departure of the what would be the classic style of the rpg yeah so i think chrono trigger did that uh correctly so so did mario rpg Mm -hmm. and um so which was nintendo and squaresoft collaborating Mm -hmm. and so maybe People are saying, hey, I don't I kinda like these RPGs now. So I think so they did do a massive push from marketing, of course, on uh PlayStation for uh, or for the Final Fantasy Seven, so that certainly didn't hurt. Um, people are starting to open up these RPGs because of Chrono Trigger and Mario. Um, Mario uh, RPG. And mm-hmm. so I know that me personally, I was waiting for those cinematics. I wanted to yeah. see this world uh, in the graphics that they were gonna create. Same way I wanted in Final Fantasy two came out for super nintendo i never played the first one back then on the regular nintendo but i did play dragon warrior and so just these massive games it's just beautiful um mm-hmm. and like clear stated you know such a a large uh, system that has such market share at the time uh you know and i'm glad it happened man because those are great games. Uh, I don't think eight did as you know. I don't want to get too far ahead of that. But we're talking about we're just talking about seven for today. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. Um, do you think the what do you think about the remake? You think it's going to have as much of a? I, I know we we talked about it in previous uh, podcasts that I was extremely nervous, but um, I did delve too deep into it because I still want to be surprised. But from the press that I saw and the, the trailers that happened to be like just showing up on my feed, it was really surprising. And then I actually, now it makes a lot more sense to me why they're doing the episodic releasing. Um, so that, that sort of put me at ease. I'm still kind of on the fence, whether I'm going to wait until the whole thing is out and play it all at once. But I did like the idea that, uh, was that basically that first act or the first disc of the original game is all of Midgard expanded for this remake. Like you could pretty much travel all through the city, which I think is amazing. Yeah. So from what I've, from what I read about it, cause I wanted to make sure I knew enough about it. Um, I, I don't, I usually don't mind spoilers. And from what I read from the, from it, it's, 
I'm kind of a little. I'm I'm still on the fence. I do like the idea that they're doing episodic, and the whole first episode is Midgar. The thing is, is it's an, it's supposed to be the size of Final Fantasy VII Midgar. Like basically, take your Final Fantasy VII from PS One. The remake first part, first act is supposed to be as big as that, just covering just Midgar. So right there, it tells me that one, it's an expanded story. The story is going to be changed to, to, to a, a good bit extent because one of the things I see right off the bat was he sh- he's he's having a either a mental image breakdown and he sees Sephiroth in Midgar and that's one of the one of the things that they were showing and so that tells me right there that the story is going to be a little different from the original Final Fantasy VII. How much it's it's to be seen. And that's what makes me nervous because you don't have the original guy writing the story. How far are they going to break from the story? And are they going to keep the traditional plot points in the story? Because you can expand it, but Mm -hmm. if you keep the plot points, it might still be cohesive enough to still be the same. Well, I think they're keeping it. Like they even said they're keeping the cross-dressing thing as ridiculous as it was, you know, like, so they're they're (laughs) keeping all the core things from there. Um, There was a flashback. Later in the game, back mm-hmm. to Midgar with uh, was that true? Uh, maybe I may be thinking of a uh, Jador with uh, Sephiroth in it. Yeah, it was uh, Zach and well, I mean, well, yeah, Zach. with all three of them. Yeah, it was Zach. That well, the guy that basically saved Cloud or whatever, and he was the real. Was soldier. it Midgar though? I mean, I think that's right. Nifel- uh, well, they were in Nifelheim in that flashback, but yeah, that's immediately that's right. right after the. After they leave Midgard, they go to the first town, and you know they, okay. they Cloud basically tells everybody, "This is Sephiroth. This is what's going on. This we need to stop him." Um, that's kind of what pushes everything. But I actually, you know, this would be my argument on that worrying if they change too much. Um, they sh- should be able to update it. Obviously, we have better better quality writing, better quality technology, and everything like that. But specifically, the writing and I'll praise Final Fantasy VII. That's the reason I got a PlayStation 1. That's the reason that I got into Final Fantasy. Eight is personally my favorite out of all of them. But with seven, you know, I still hold it near and dear to my heart. Looking back with Rose Tinted Glasses, you have a very shoddy story. There are, you know, multiple plot holes and there's certain things that don't make sense. You know, that the art the the artistic expression in the game. There's three different character models for everybody. You know, you got you yeah. got the weird, ugly polygonal model that you really run in the world. You have, uh, you have your fighting one, and I'm, I'm sorry, not everybody has it. But then you see at the ending, you have Cloud and Sephiroth that they have updated character models specifically for that little one quick Omni Slash fight that they have. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, so th- the biggest thing with the original one was that it was inconsistent all across the board. But everybody was so floored by it, what that they brought to the table with it they were able to overlook all these things but if you go back and you play it now unless you're just like all for that nostalgia and you know what you're expecting i think what they're going to do with the update is i think it's going to be good i don't i don't mind that it's a new writer it's actually good because he probably sees things that the other guy didn't and then oh here here we go so my wife and i we saw the new aladdin remake the other day yeah and I loved it. We were singing along with the songs. You know, they had a lot of the similar stuff, but there were the things that they changed with that movie made sense. Like the Sultan wasn't 
wasn't just like an incompetent but lovable dad. You know, he was legit. He was no, I am a ruler of this city. I want to protect this city. I want to protect my family. And these are the reasons why. Like he's not just some bumbling dude. You know, they made their, so they're probably and that's where I'm taken with that is that they're probably updating the narrative so it actually makes sense like okay why is he going to cross-dress maybe you know like they have that anime moment where but i i also believe that they're they're making it so it's you know especially with the climate and the culture now they're obviously going to make it you know hopefully respectful because you know people are going to get offended by that um but then also like with serious moments like i told you before like that fear we're still very raw from like anti you know from not anti from yeah. terrorist type um things everything we're very anti-terrorist yeah. and what are you guys in the beginning you're literally terrorists you're geo-terrorists you're gonna blow up a yeah. reactor killing many people because you're trying to make a stand so they again they they have to really kind of walk the dog if you will if they want to present a good story for the modern uh, that's a year. good point with uh now that i think about that they i believe that even in final fantasy the original one you know with all the different character models before i get into the the killing uh that's what we were used to it was even like that in final fantasy 3 where you had the fighting you had the our final fantasy 2 you had the fighting model you had the outworld model you had the drawings uh, avatar type look um so we were all we understood like hey outer world is going to be different than it is in the fighting and so on and so forth but does it hold up today? No, they obviously need to change that and make it better. I'm excited about the remake. I'll just throw this out there. I'm not excited that the first uh, disc or whatever is in Midgar. I couldn't wait to get out of Midgar when I played it because then it actually feels like a Final Fantasy at that point. And I'm sure they're going to change it around to make some type of open world inside of Midgar. But uh, we'll wait and see. I'm sure I'm going to get it right at release. But, um, I probably will too. Yeah, I'm saying I'll wait, but I know I'm going to get it. <laughs> I probably will too. I mean, it's 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 Final Fantasy VII. Well, that's the thing, though. Know. I I got so burnt out of Final Fantasy VII. Like ten left a bad taste in my mouth. I heard great things about twelve, and I never yes. got it. Eleven, obviously, is the MMO. My friends actually now that it's 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 awesome that we're talking about Final Fantasy. But my friends actually convinced me to play Final Fantasy fourteen, and I just started playing it the last three days, and I am hooked. Now, <laughs> I'm not a fan of that whole anime style still. Yeah, like, there's, like, like some of the story is like too little melodramatic for me, but I'm like, okay, now it, it's it's giving me my love back for Final Fantasy, like that appreciation. So now I'm willing to kind of overlook those things. I might even play Final Fantasy 15 again. I don't know. You know, and then get ready for 7 and kind of expect the style. Well, before we get too far ahead, I want to talk about yeah, well, the Freedom I wanna, Fighters. Yeah, I want to say, say something real quick, too, uh, just to throw in there. So it sounds like, you know, because uh, Nick just said that Final Fantasy X left a bad taste in his mouth. Well, I don't I'm get into X yet. Let me, let me talk about the, let me gonna, talk about I'm, I'm the not, Midgar Freedom Fighter terrorist <laughs> thing that we talked about about 15 minutes ago. I, just, I, I didn't want to get into it. All I wanted to say is I think that's a good topic for a podcast because I'm such a fan of TN to have a talk with him on that <laughs> just to have another podcast with him. Cause I think that would be a good one to go back and forth. On. All right. Fair enough. It, I'm right. down for that. <laughs> freedom fighters. That's what they are. Mm-hmm. Because so, um, Oh, the terrorists call themselves freedom fighters too. Well, these freedom fighters in final fantasy did not want to kill anybody with the explosion. Everything was supposed to be empty and it fell. The plate fell on like sector eight and killed a bunch of people. Was that even mentioned after that happened did that affect the story at all they didn't even talk about it after oh it killed a bunch of people what was the aftermath what 
how what big plot point did that cover in the story? I don't remember that covering anything. So later. when they blew up the reactor, I there were the people who dropped there the plate. I remember that, but when they dropped the plate, that was a little bit further down. I think they were going. Oh, they were going to another reactor. I think. Ah, man, it's been so long. But uh, they no. <laughs> they got the plate drop they got back betrayed. Accident. They got betrayed. The plate fell, and they killed a bunch of people. They kind of it was like kind of you know oh something happened yeah Shinra's bad okay we'll get him and that was it yeah I thought they said they'd mentioned that it was supposed to be empty we're not supposed to kill anybody because I mean even back then I know we were just in the dark ages in 97 if you want to listen to everybody of how our thoughts were just so all these hate crimes going on but even back then they wanted you to like the characters by you know if they said hey we killed all these people so what that just happens you wouldn't like them you wouldn't fall in love with them back then um, so so here's that part right here that I think y'all are talking about. So, like, um, Avalanche destroys a uh, Shinra Mako reactor in Midgar. An attack on another reactor goes wrong. Cloud falls into the city slums. Mm-hmm. There he meets Aetherith and protects her from Shinra. Meanwhile, Shinra finds Avalanche and collapses part of the upper city, killing most of Avalanche along with the slum population below. And that's, like, that that's, that right there, I think, is, like, right there at the, still at the beginning of the game. Yeah, we just don't know the how game. the plate fell. Yeah, it doesn't say on this. I'm trying. I, I, was trying I to think they just it. like they, the supports. Shinra had a bunch of like fail safes, and they just let them go and drop. Yeah, drop the whole upper level down on the slums. So they're trying to create in the, the writing is trying to create the heroes that you're going to love and the bad guys Shinra. So the heroes try to stop the bad guys from destroying the planet without killing anybody. And Shinra goes, "We don't care. We're going to do this and make everybody think it was you." Avalanche did all this. Uh, and so you got your bad guys and good guys right off the bat. And that's what they're trying to, to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it, they would definitely play something onto that. I think, um, I think with this day and age, they're going to have to do that perfectly. Like I'm mm-hmm. sure they're interacting with every type of writer. I'm, I'm, it's probably, it's probably done by now, but I'm sure that they, when they were doing the story process is like, how do we make it that they're not eco-terrorists like how do we make it that this is a very justified thing that people are still gonna like these guys after for blowing up a building you know even though yeah. there are plenty of video games where the hero blows up a building filled with bad guys but now you know it's just one of those things yeah so it's something well, to think about for sure interesting and, to see. Re- and, and, and reading this trying to remember a lot of the game because like I'm, I'm saying with nick it's been a really long time since i played this one i mean it, yeah i mean what y'all are saying is very much eco-terrorism i mean when you're talking about um with Sephiroth trying to uh collect the black materia to summon uh meteor to uh spell it uh, that'll impact the planet with a devastating impact you, you know you think I, I, right there when i'm thinking i'm like okay this is definitely eco-terrorism how is it going to affect the world based on this meteor strike because meteor is basically a meteor coming down from the sky, smacking the earth. You know that's that's climate change. It's all that kind of stuff. And, you know, de- definitely from from Nick. From I know they did get these catalytic converters on their cars back in there. <laughs> yeah. pull up in Midgar. And, and from what Nick's saying, you know, that's definitely something that you've got to be careful with. Because I mean, that's that's the things that we're talking about right now is uh, the the impact to the environment that that we are having and things like that. So. Um, yeah, I can see why they're doing the multiple parts and expanding the story in areas. So, well, I just, I just, just kind of emphasize like, oh, the dark ages of '97 because I remember reading <laughs> an article. Ages. Well, I say that because <laughs> I remember reading an article. 
that somebody had mentioned, you know, oh, back then, like you're talking about the cross-dressing and all that. Oh, they just didn't care. And, you know, it was just a different time. Like like times have really changed that bad. We'll see how it works, man. I think it's going to be all right. Okay. Um, so another reason why maybe this game did so well. Well, let's just let's before we get before we get into that, let me just tell a little bit about what's going on here in the story. We don't got to go through every little detail. The very beginning of it, uh, it's just kind of this this um, what am I trying to say here? Just this kind of thing they put on the uh, story here. Just this world they're creating. Uh, Cloud is a soldier. That's the elite type of soldier. He's uh, called a soldier. He's been infused with Mako, so he can do some magic. He's got these eyes that glow blue, so everybody knows he was in soldier. And so he's been hired by the Avalanche, which is the uh, Freedom Fighters, to go help blow up this this thing. So that's it. He's just this uh, cold blooded. You know, you don't know who this is. Later on down the road, turns out he you know he starts to figure out who he was. And um, so that's kind of how this game starts. You immediately find like a couple of chests right in the beginning of the game where there's a potion and whatnot. And man, you just the chest, man, that's just, this is a world for RPGs, dude. When you see chest, <laughs> you know, this is going to be you something light up, good. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And you go to a, um, you go to a new dungeon and you get a better weapon. You're to be expected. You find out where, uh, enemies are harder to defeat and there's going to be better gear. There's the risk versus reward system that the Japanese are, are flawless at i mean i don't say flawless but they're very good at um and so uh you know you're in for you know you're for a treat here and this introduced the materia system so every one of these things has a little bit different like we talked about the espers the magicite in final fantasy 6 final fantasy 2 or final fantasy 4 however you want to know we're going to get fused with the numbers but final fantasy 2 in the u.s you just had your magic users and they just learned it as they leveled up um but Final Fantasy uh, VI, you could put different magicites on them and everybody could learn their spells. Final Fantasy VII had the materia system, which is just basically uh, you had different materia, command materia, magic materia, uh, support materia, and you could do uh, various combinations, tons of different combinations. The stuff leveled up with you depending on your gear, depending on if they were junctioned. I mean, it was uh, an outstanding system that uh, I think hooked a lot of people. A lot of, Some people didn't like it. Uh, at first, I'd be honest with you, I didn't like it at first. I didn't understand it. I wanted it to be more like Final Fantasy VI, but obviously after playing it again and learning all the combinations, or at least some good ones, uh, I really appreciate that system now. So I think the thing that I really liked, the I could never get was the Yellow Master Materia, because on the, sh- on the uh, spacecraft when you're flying up, that was the only one I could never get, but I was able to pretty much master everything else i had everything else in the game but that one on the spaceship i could never get or when i did finally get on the save one person had the the mimic materia and they got everything but one and then another person had the mimic and they got that one that i was missing but there was no way i could transfer it and it just oh. drove me nuts but <laughs> the mimic so you have to uh it still just levels up though with the experience you don't have to get all the things do you for mimic, you have to have that specific spell cast on you on the person with that materia. Oh, and so you then, wanted to master, it, but you can still get a master mimic by just having it. I think so, but again, but it's, it's like, been a while. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think I remember getting all. So the master materia, once you master one, so they might have like five levels. Once you master one, it you have that master. So you can do everything with it. Besides, mimic will be a little bit different. Um, but if you have like a cure materia and you master, you get cure one, two, 
Regan, Regen, and uh, not Regan, Regen, and Cure Three. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then you'll that person that has that material can chant all those spells, and then it'll create a new, new material is born quote. So somebody else can do it. But once you master all of them, you now get a master magic materia or command materia or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you can one materia slot and you can do all of those spells and all those commands. That's pretty cool. Um, did you ever get gold chocobos and all that? Did you do that? Stuff? I did get the gold one. I had the black one. I had the gold one. Um, I, I remember scouring the internet and learning how to kill ruby weapon i think that was the hardest one but the most satisfying one and then after that it was just like a battle of attrition with the emerald weapon but i remember (laughs) it took me weeks to get ruby like that that was ruby was the the most difficult one for sure oh yeah because you have to come in what you want to do is have just cloud or whoever's your strongest character just that one guy you want the other people already down and then uh, <laughs> you got to save right outside and keep resetting. And yep. if he, if he sucks the other guy in. Yep. Well, uh, I'll ask clear. What was your most memorable part of the whole game? Um, it's probably when, um, I, I, cause I remember this so vividly when cloud basically kind of goes crazy and he's in the wheelchair. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. That is freaky, a, man. That's a weird a, like, part. And so like, like that, like so that for me is like the most memorable. Like I remember that so vividly like that, because it's just weird so sound. weird and so all it's so odd. It's just kind of off, and everything's just not right. You know, it's kind of like, it's did like, I do something wrong and break the game? I mean, it's like what it feels like. And I'll be it's honest, that, crazy. With that too, I was so as a kid because I was what a freshman in high school when that game came out. I had a difficult time grasping that entire scenario. I was like, so. Did she make up his memories to make him think he was there or was he literally there and he hung out <laughs> yeah. on the side? Like I was – it took a while. Yeah, and then when I had to hard. read the synopsis later on, yeah. I was like, oh, OK. He was there but he wasn't – Zach did everything but Cloud was still the one that stabbed Sephiroth and they all got messed up in the <laughs> yeah. thing. It just yeah, took it, so long. Like my brain – and, and that's why I like. That's what's so memorable about it because it's just like it was so hard to wrap. I'm in the same position with you because '97. I'm freshman in high school as well, and I'm thinking, how in the, uh, how does this work? You know, why does this not? Yeah, it just it, it just like blew my mind. It just was like I could never wrap around it. And eventually, when I was able to get to internet and to read about it and actually dig about it, and you know, I actually learned and 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 it was like, oh wow, that's really how it played out. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just so weird. It's like. They stuck this thing. It, 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 like I said a minute ago, I felt almost like I broke the game. It just was so out of place to me, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it so memorable for me. What about you, Nick? I think my most memorable thing, my favorite thing of Final Fantasy VII, hands down, is when he gets Fenrir. That the very last mm-hmm. level of Act One, where you're on the motorcycle and you're escaping. It, it was <laughs> that to me was the best part of the entire game. Like I actually kept going to the golden saucer and riding the motorcycle mini game over and over again, because oh, wow. that was, that was it. But I mean, it, it, it wasn't just that it was, you, you beat that boss. And then there's that cutscene. Everybody's running down through the Shinra headquarters. And then they're looking around, they get in this little itty bitty pickup truck. And then you see cloud coming up into this bad motorcycle and he's like let's go you know and then you're like yes you know like yeah, it's awesome. you're, you're just nerd raging like you know like yes and then 
and, and and even then, after the whole level is done, you get stuck at the end of this free like freeway that isn't finished, and you got this big robot ready to fight you, and you're just like, yes, let's take this thing down. Like you are still you are so fired up. Like even then, like I could still <laughs> like that was the best part of the game. I don't think any other moments in that game came close to that whole section. Like I was disappointed that there wasn't something similar later down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a great introduction well, to the cutscenes, man, for sure. Well, what you can do to get more of that is, as long as you watch Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, you get a lot of that because he's on that motorcycle through one of the it battles was. he does. But then it's you really got, awesome. You have to watch the Japanese love, dub if you do that. That, oh, that English I dub was so Advent Children. Oh, it was a great it was, one. It was a great it was movie, great. but the English dub was atrocious. Oh, it's horrible. So horrible. <laughs> so, um,. So what's your, what's I like your the, most uh, memorable Hollywood? Well, That's so the we original one I was just thinking most? about was uh, it's it's like the cliche one to say, but that the big the best cut scene to me that I remembered with, stuck with me was that when Seth Roth turns around in the fire uh, after he burned that up and he's actually bad or you know real bad. He's the hero the whole time and turns and he's bad and you're like what? You know, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That was a cool scene. Mm-hmm. That's the one that stuck with me. Going back and playing it, I remember that motorcycle scene stuck out really well. But probably my most favorite part of all of it is when you finally leave Midgar. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> seriously. And you're out in that, uh, you're out in the open world now. You can kind of go, you can get levels. You can, uh, you know, you go to Calm or whatever it is right away. Mm-hmm. After a little town there. Um, and I just kind of now I feel like, okay, cool. Now we're starting the Final Fantasy VII. Uh, now we're starting the yeah. open world. We're starting a Final Fantasy game. And just since we're talking about cutscenes, this is a statement of the Sephiroth killing Aerith uh, cutscene. And they say that it's been called one of the most shocking cinematic and genre-defining moments in video game history. Oh yeah! So that that, that one Thrones scene is like right there, man. I mean, it's it's amazing moment. It was such <laughs> a great moment, and I think it's funny that you know, for all of us, you know, we played this that we have these very you know, not high up there moments that are our most favorite moments. And you have that moment. That's like the most defining. I think that's kind of a, it's sad because you got her so cool. built up, man. She's going to be my healer, oh, yeah. dude. She's the best magic user. And schwack. Oh. <laughs> You're like, nah, yeah, she's that was come crazy. Back. But Golf. the thing was like it, I honestly didn't connect with Aris that much. So when she did die, I was like, Whoa, but I'm like, Oh, okay. But I felt bad more for cloud. Cause I was just mm-hmm. like, he had that love triangle with him and Tifa, and I'm like, okay, are they? But then nothing ever resolves with any of them, any of them. But then <laughs> yeah. you could clearly see he was really affected by Aerith. And then um, I, I did remember that there were rumors, like online and stuff, that there was a way to resurrect Aerith. And then you got to go. Oh yeah, I remember. That. You yes. got to go through all the old, <laughs> the old zone. You know that the the old uh, ancient zone. I forgot their names, etc. Yeah. The set. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Cetrus. C-E-T-R-A. Yeah. So so then like I would go there and I would scour everything. I would press select. So then like all the like little uh, like tool tips came up just to try and see if I missed something. And I'm for weeks like, you know, again, because I used to play that game religiously. And, you know, then you find out later it's like, no, that was a hoax. I'm like, ah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Here's the thing with this, the love connections. You can – it does, you get points based on what you say throughout the whole game, and that all comes to a culmination at the gold saucer when you get on the uh, when you're when you wake up in the middle of the night or getting ready to go out to the date night 
that's who will come in. It'll be Aerith. It'll be Tifa. Uh, you, or Barrett. Yumi. Yeah, Yuma. What was her name? Yuki? Y- I know you're talking about the little ninja girl. Yeah. And uh, our Barrett will come in there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did Barrett. it for fun. I, I did yeah, I get there for fun. You got to be like mean to everybody or aloof. And That's part of that's a That's a trophy on the PS4 version. Oh, really? To get Barrett to come in. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do everything <laughs> right. You got to have like zero points or something like that. You know, speaking of Barrett, the only thing I might not look forward to for Final Fantasy VII is that I don't. I don't think I'm going to like his voice. I think yeah, I heard I a clip like and I was, I was really turned off by his voice. Mm. Like I get it. They're yeah. trying to make him sound, you know, like big manly. Don't care. Yeah. But it just, it, it just seems so forced. And I'm like, uh, I, I yeah. get it. But yeah. I mean, Samuel Jackson would have been a perfect Barrett voice. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Just, just go with all these snakes on the plane. <laughs> Kevin, what is it? Kevin Michael Richardson? Like, I don't know what his name is. Oh, uh, wait, hold on. I have to look it up. But Kevin Michael Richardson, he's like almost a, a voice for every bad guy. And, uh, yeah, but he solid snakes voice for Barry. Oh, David Hayter. Yeah, he would have been mm-hmm. good too. Yeah, Kevin Michael Richardson. So he, he's very prominent uh, voice actor. He's done voice acting for plenty of video games and stuff as well. He was Saravok in Baldur's Gate. Um, he was, uh, he was one of the characters in family guy or American dad, but I mean, he's in, he's in a lot of stuff, but the most notable game he's been in was Saravok for Baldur's Gate. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just out, out in the street. I, I could get the, I could get used to the voice, but, uh, it did throw me off, honestly. And it went, I mean, I say throw me off. It wouldn't like, what, what is this? But you know, you, how did you expect him to sound? I don't know. I mean, I guess I did have a, a more of a raspy voice, not just. Yeah, that's a, what I kind of thought too, because like he kind of looks like a dirty biker or something. You know, yeah, just, just he's got a gun <laughs> arm. Usually, exactly. Gun, gun arms arm don't talk looks, like that. The gun arm kind of looks a little. Uh, so far, what I've seen, the gun arm looks a little weak. You know, I, I, <laughs> every time I see it on the on the game and the graphics and everything from the original seven, it looks big and bulky. It's like. And right now it's kind of like really it's like as skinny as his arm and it's real thin and sleek and so I'm kind of like ah the gun arm was our first maybe. indication of it. we're starting to go downhill with a little bit of the uh, fantasy here because the <laughs> next one you had the, the the stupidest weapon I've ever seen in my life is that gun blade that turned me off hardcore <laughs> on Final Fantasy I like the gun blade. that was fun. Oh it is a revolver God, with it. a blade it's so I dumb. love the gun blade it is so <laughs> ridiculous but I love the gun blade I love that okay I know we're talking about seven but I love the yeah. fact in eight every time you attack them you hit R one <laughs> boom. Critical hit. Yeah, that bump, it, it, exactly. Oh, I love you. I, you know, oh, I just gosh. pre-ordered Shadowbringers because I found out you get you get Squall's gunblade in Shadowbringers. I had oh, to. Oh gosh, <laughs> I had to. I just spent sixty bucks for a freaking skin. I mean, I want to play the game. Don't get me wrong, but I pretty much spent sixty bucks on a skin. I'm so tired of doing that to myself, but I did it. <laughs> the gunblade. Oh my gosh, it just does not make physical sense. Why do you have a trigger on a blade? What does pulling trigger do? It's one thing if you just had a regular handle on it and you still pushed R one, you could just pretend like he swipes down a certain little harder or something. I don't know anything. Have it, another blade come out or something. Well, think of it as an explosion yeah, extra effect explosion from the blade. Was good. Yeah, it's an explosion <laughs> effect from the blade. That's all it is. Yeah, that, ex- that well, extra it is explosion, explosion. Was It is an explosion you know? effect. That but is true. But I think true. in later <laughs> Final Fantasies, or at least in different games that they happen to have uh, gun blades in them, they're, they're just basically gigantic bayonets 
on a yeah. on a on a you that know. would have made more sense because Squall had the, like the 357 revolver gun blade, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. uh, Cipher had like the the 1911 gun blade, the yeah. automatic. And it's like, dude, what? There's no guns in this game, you know? Well, it's there's like, no barrel on the there's gun guns blade. in That's the game, was trippy, but you know? Yeah, so I think I I, I don't know. They did I, it That's well. what I loved about it with eight. That's. They did it well, but it turned me off. And after I kind of played it and got this, okay, here's how this game. I like the military pay system. I like the gold system in there. I know yeah. we're not talking about that. We'll go. We'll, we'll do Final Fantasy VIII one day. All right, the gunblade just we'll had, to, to, had to throw out too. there because to me, I mean, <laughs> it immediately turned me off. And the gun arm on Barrett, you're kind of like that doesn't physically make sense either. But I'll just I can choose to ignore that one little aspect. And then, uh, and then of course, you kind of get into it and you see I, it. I, I thought it was cool. I liked that everybody was different, but. It was just, again, I think it was with the inconsistency, but I, yeah. I get it. Like, okay, like, you know, Cloud Sword is just massive and it's iconic, you know? Yeah. And then it's unwieldy. Like, even if you got, like, one of those prop ones from somebody, like, and even half the size was, like, mm-hmm. a 80-pound slab of metal you try to swing around without, <laughs> you know, ripping out your tendons in your shoulder. And then, but the gun wasn't bad. At least they gave Barrett options like you could make him a melee character depending on boxing glove on it yeah you go or cannon he had a cannonball so he just does like an uppercut haymaker um but it's you know with having a guns a machine gun a gatlin gun and your main hero has a sword you know this star wars is only only game or only uh universe ever to where you can you know the, the jedis with the lightsabers blocked and reflect the, yeah, the beams the sword is actually competitive against the gun well, yeah, yeah i mean they, they, but not in not in did you see the trailer the gameplay of the the remake of seven he actually takes a sword and he holds it in front of him That's like true. this and he's blocking well, yeah, off it's a freaking so like, yes. shield. i mean it's like it's like this <laughs> wide anyway it's as wide as his shoulders i mean i know it's perfect he's just running with like a riot shield that he could swing and cleave people in half have you seen the dude that actually made a life-size full-blown working replica of that sword go look him up on youtube he forged it oh yeah the the and and it's like it's like he just has to take it over his hand and it takes forever to chop this you know it takes forever to bring it down it's just insane how huge the thing is it got up real life what's he getting crazy he probably oh, has one. Or no, 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 no. I'm seeing that family house. I had to move the fan. I wish. I thought he was going to have to get something cool. Oh, no. Get a sword me. If I get something cool, it's going to be the gun blade, and I'm going to be sending you pictures every day. All right. Well, what uh, what was the... We're going to throw Hollywood off now. That's a great... Um, so... Um, Huh. I don't know what else to ask, man. What was your you guys? Uh, do you guys have a favorite like quest or side quest or um, besides the cinematic story driven moment? Um, I I can't really remember the quest too well, is because it it's been a really long time since I've played it. I haven't done a playthrough in a long time on it, and I probably should go back and play it just to get the whole nostalgia feel of it and get prepared for the remake coming out. Yeah. So I really don't have anything to add on that part. The only thing that's sticking out to me, I don't know if it, I would consider favor but i did like um once you get to nifleheim and you find out like how they rebuilt and everything and they kind of you know cloud's like oh don't you remember me and they're like no you know like and he was really confused and i also kind of gave the player like okay so is cloud just a liar Um, (laughs) and then you know you go through that whole thing and you know you can go the optional haunted uh 
what is it, Professor uh, Doctor Hojo's uh, yeah, yeah, lab, yeah. and you see Vince and all that. But like when you get past that zone and you're going through the mountain pass and you find all the people that were infected by Genova's blood and Sephiroth, and like they're all just kind of meandering through like the mountain pass, and some of them oh, are just yeah. ki- just cli- uh, just tumbling over Falling the cliff off. and killing themselves. Uh, that kind of struck me pretty. Like I was like, wow, that's really unique. Like because you're just getting nonstop questions as you're progressing, and you you don't know why. What's the reason? Yeah. So yeah, that was, there's some there are some freaky parts in there, man. Um, it's gonna be interesting to see how they do that remake, though, man. To see that to see just what they leave in and not, but um. Kind of what we talked about, just talking about those people killing themselves and all this kind of weirdness on some drug, essentially. Yeah. Um, the uh, the one that I, uh, which is the part that I like is when you get that submarine. And oh, you finally, yeah. oh, I forgot about that. You finally I totally go forgot under, about that. And there's that sunken ship that's just out in the middle of nowhere. And I yeah. love this part. And it, uh, these, ty- this, these types of things in Final Fantasy, when you've kind of come a long way, and you find that kind of in-game dungeon, which just is not quite, I guess it's about as close to the in-game dungeon as you can get to where you go in there and the stuff is difficult. There's not a save point in there. Mm-hmm. And um, there may be one right at the beginning. I can't remember. But uh, you, um, if you can kind of survive and you can go find a chest and you open up, it's going to be something super cool, super good, like stuff with triple material growth on it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, no status effect armor type of stuff like that. Um, I love that part of the game. And I love those R- when RPGs do that. Now that you mentioned it, I think seven had one of the best like exploratory type scenarios in the game. Like, so you got the world, you got your overworld, you got like the in zone exploration, but not only that, you get an airship, you get a car, you get, a submarine like you said and there's a bunch of stuff in the water and you know and i mentioned emerald weapon earlier but you know i wasn't thinking about the sub but i mean you get the mini you also get a mini game of the sub too and you get to blow things up i thought that was actually really exciting um yeah and i can't because i know again back to 10 leaving a bad taste in my mouth you're walking a straight linear line in 10 and then i final fantasy 15 while it's bigger in scope, kind of felt the same way with ten. Going, you're going to, you're going a straight line. Yeah, you can go back if you want to do a quest, but you're still going a straight line to the next place. Where seven is like go, yeah, you know, even yeah. eight go, you know. Um, so, yeah. That's- well, speaking on the speaking on like the ten and the fifteen, to me, like ten was like you have this straight line for a while, and then you get to open up into the world. And that's kind of a lot of the Final Fantasies are kind of like that. But 10 was really straight line for a while. And then you get to open up because I remember going to get all the different weapons there and getting all those and doing all the, the side games to do that. It, it kind of that's where it felt open to me. But that's right at the end of the game anyway. Whereas 15, I felt like you were open from the beginning because you can go find if you want to go find the uh, this caves with all the I forget the name of the weapons and the armor and all that. You can go all those caves right away if you want to. You don't have to go to the end. Now, granted, you're going to get slayed if you're not leveled up, but you can go on those those things. But when you go into the city, it starts to shrink down and you go into that narrow pathway. So it's kind of like open and then it's kind of the reverse of 10. So that's just kind of my feelings on the on that that angle. Which I mean, with seven, I agree. It is the whole here you go, do what you gonna do. You know, ten to me just had a great look and a great feel to it. That's it what did. I liked about it. 
It did. And I and I did like uh, one of the things that I was really excited is like when you're in Act 3 and Meteor's already coming down, the music's changing, and then you look up, mm-hmm. you see Meteor up in the sky, and you're like, oh, God, and you got to get all the weapons that are like causing rampage and getting everybody's ultimates. That was – yeah, that was good. Yeah. Well, uh, just uh, some fun facts here. Final Fantasy VII was the number two best-selling game on PlayStation 1 uh, ever. You know what number one was? Take a wild guess. Twisted Metal. Number one and three are related. One and three are related. Right. Yeah. Grand Theft Auto. Ah, no, that's a no good it wasn't on PS One. Well, it was no, Plan- no Grand PS2. Theft Auto One was yeah. But, it wasn't uh, as good Grand as uh, PS Two is the one it first came out to where it's three D. Yeah, yeah. Grand Theft Auto Three was on PS Three. Yep. So, yep. Grand Turismo is number one. You know uh, what? I, I can yeah. vibe with that. Grand Turismo uh, and a great yeah. game. Uh, what is it? Knockout Kings. I, I, you know what? PlayStation One sports games were probably the best. <laughs> yeah, they had yeah. great sports games, but of course they don't have the longevity. You know, other than like Gran Turismo. Oh, yeah, Gran, Gran Turismo, Turismo 2 was uh, the second, uh, third best. If you put in Gran, not to get off track again, but Gran, they, they have such good graphics. I bought Gran Turismo 3 or 4 for the PlayStation 2. And it looked just like a 360 game to me, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so hard to tell the difference if you're just playing it. You can get those graphics are so good. Um, so they did anyway. That's a great game too. Um, Gran Turismo's. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, well, Nick, I'm glad you could join us, man. Me too. Again, so sorry, sorry awesome. for the hiccup, but I mean, yeah, I was. I went to go check my phone, uh, my phone, and I saw your text. I'm like, no. Well, I <laughs> thought it messed up because the laptop. <laughs> I thought about it the day I was like, oh, maybe I need to tell them that it's 8:30 like Central Time, you know, and not Mountain Time. You know what I noticed in the corner right there? I can see Chrono Trigger prominently displayed right there on oh, the left. Of course. Of the <laughs> Look at him. He's like, yeah, that's out. my boy right there. <laughs> that's right. Shadow Run and Final Fantasy uh, VI right side by side. Nice, <laughs> man. I'm jelly. I can't wait to get to my our actual place once the baby is born, and then I can dork up get a you. room. That's right, man. Yeah. This is my little office in here. Mm. Before we go, the winner of the Toe Jam and Earl, if we ever get it, I have not gotten it yet, is Anthony Diastello. I just sent your mug to you. If I had it, I would have put a, put uh, had the game. I would have put it in a package with there, but now i got to wait again. Hopefully not two more months, but we'll get it to you. Thanks for playing. We didn't have anybody play but Anthony this time. Um, nobody's interested in the Switch version of uh, Toe Jam and Earl. Toe Jam and Earl. Back Limited edition. And let me tell you, the packaging for it is awesome. Like, it, you know, when I opened it up, I was like, oh, this is, it's kind of got a little weight to it. And when I open it up, it's got an instruction book that no lie is like that thick. I know you can't, wow. I know people Jeez. listening to the podcast, thick. you can't listen, but it's like, it's almost like an inch thick. I mean, it's amazing. And so I haven't got to play, I hadn't started playing it yet because I was playing Starlink, but they've got all the details in it. And it's, it feels like oh, I actually have direction now where to go in a game. And, you know, I actually have an instruction manual to re- reference back to. So, <laughs> yeah, it's good to have an But they did a great manual. job. Like when you open it up on the inside, it's the old uh, Genesis cover on the inside. Oh, man, that's awesome. So, so it makes it really slick. You know, you get the old, it's the, it's the, where the game cartridge plugs in it's the old front and then the back is the um, where the instruction book plugs in so it's like the reverse when you open up you're like oh my gosh this is so cool looking I just got an email Wednesday the 19th 
Uh-oh. Uh, limited switch, limited run, number 29, Toe Jam and Earl back in the groove, times two, headed my way. So there, there you, you go, go Anthony. It'll be headed, headed your way soon. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I didn't have to email them. I was waiting <laughs> Dude, I was on it. I was to tell you, I'd call, I'd call them for uh, yeah, you. Yeah, like, Dude, I'm never ordering again. <laughs> so, all right, guys, I'll put another uh, H&K video game experience in the book. So appreciate you guys joining us later. Thanks for listening. Yep, bye.